This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio. Welcome to Leadership in Action on Sirius XM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Jeff Klein. I'm the Executive Director of the Anne and John McNulty Leadership Program. And I am here on Zoom with my good buddy, Mike Yuseem. How are you, sir? Uh, great. Here we are, Jeff. Absolutely. So our listeners, uh, longtime listeners, know Mike as both the Faculty Director of the Center for Leadership and Change Management, as well as uh, just our our partner when I think about Ann Greenhall, who's not with us here today, and myself and the work uh, we've been able to do with Mike over these many years. Um, Before we begin, I want to remind our listeners that new episodes of the show premiere every Friday, 9 a.m. Eastern, here on Business Radio, Sirius XM Channel 132. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at SXM business. So Mike, as we, uh, we sit here, it is August. Campus is coming back to life. Uh, we are uh, welcoming brand new classes of graduate students, of undergraduate students uh, back to the University of Pennsylvania. Um, what is top of mind for you right now is, you know, this we, we approach the beginning of a new academic year. All right, Jeff, great question. And uh, by habit, I'll probably throw this one back at you too. But for me, top of mind is uh, almost a, a measure for everybody in a position of responsibility that is coming up. And that is decisions. If you carry responsibility for a unit, a division, a school, uh, a military command, a company, what you're going to be doing come around September 1 in requiring your employees or your staff to come back to work. And number two, what about the issue of vaccination as a condition for coming back? Very tough decision. Many agencies, many companies are facing up to that. Uh, we faced up to it. Our own university is going to require all students, staff and faculty to be vaccinated with some exceptions in the fall. But I think it's um, um, in a sense, a test of leadership coming up for many, many people on how to face that decision, how to reach the big decision. How about you, Jeff? Yeah, I think I, I will connect decision making uh, just to you know environmental scanning and how important it is to you know keep it keep an eye on what's happening today, keep an eye on the range of possibilities and scenarios for tomorrow. And uh, and stay in you know frequent two way communication with uh, with those who have access to you know unique and novel information and and for us at Penn that can be anything from you know the public health experts at at the university and within our medical system to uh, you know the experts who really understand what's happening in uh, particular locales in particular countries. Uh, so much rapidly changing information that needs to be quickly assimilated into that decision making. Great point. Great point. Well, Mike, we're going to have a really interesting conversation here today. Um, and if we want to talk about decision making and, and understanding 
new environments and rapidly changing environments. Uh, you know, I, I think that the conversation that we are going to have with Brigadier General Jody Merritt uh, it will inform all of those topics and many more. So our listeners will know that the U.S. Space Force is the newest branch of the armed forces, established December 20th, 2019, with the enactment of the fiscal year 2020 National Defense Authorization Act. The USSF was established within the Department of the Air Force, meaning the Secretary of the Air Force has overall responsibility for the U.S. Space Force under the guidance and direction of the Secretary of Defense. Uh, our guest here today, as I said, is Brigadier General Jody Merritt. She's a senior member of the Space Force staff and the mobilization assistant to the commander, Space Operations Command at Peterson Air Force Base in Colorado. Uh, Jody, we want to welcome you and thank you for joining us here on Leadership in Action. Thank you very much, Jeff. I'm excited to be here today. All right. We're going to, um, I want to, just tell the listeners a little bit uh, more about your background, background, and then we'll we'll dive into this conversation uh, that we're going to have over the course of the next hour. Uh, Brigadier General Jody Merritt was commissioned in 1989 through the U United States Air Force Academy, graduating with military distinction. She's a command space operator with operations in seven Department of Defense satellite missions. Uh, he's a graduate of the Air Force intern program with assignments to the Joint Staff, supporting the Chairman's Office, Secretary of State, and President on the Middle East peace process. And in her civilian role, Brigadier General Merritt is a certified program management professional and serves as a chief solution architect for a $7.2 billion Fortune 500 technology integrator. She was promoted to Brigadier General in May of 2019. So, Judy, the question that we love to start with, um, knowing uh, a little bit right now about your experience, about your accomplishments, about these senior roles that you play, is if we were to rewind and we were to meet Jody Merritt, the, the high school graduate, the high school student, where did you think you would be at this point in your career uh, as, a, as a high school student? Right. So, um... I grew up in a small community in New Mexico in Los Alamos, uh, which is a scientific community. And, you know, in high school, uh, my, my older brother, Mick, he's about eight years older than I am, Mick Guthels, he wanted to be a pilot. He decided he wanted to go to the Air Force Academy and, and he's looked up to him. And so I joined Naval Junior ROTC in high school, uh, which I enjoyed and and uh, when I when I graduated, I really I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I I knew a few things about myself. I knew that going into business was really not my radar because I knew nothing about it. Um, I I knew that uh, I wanted to do something significant in my life, uh, but I didn't know what that was. And so, you know, I thought that the path my brother had taken seemed to be doing, doing pretty well for him. And so I thought I would, would kind of follow the same direction. And, and that's why I decided to, to go to the Air Force Academy. And, and it took uh, several years before I sort of figured out um, more about myself and, and what I wanted to do in my life and kind of hone in on those things that I really enjoyed doing. But, um, so, thank uh, you for that, Jody. And, and 
when you think back to that that time, both ROTC and then into the academy, um, were there early formative experiences um, that you look back on now and say, yeah, that that really reinforced the direction that I was heading? You know, the the academy really is a, a learning laboratory. So I definitely had the opportunity to experience a lot of different leadership opportunities, different courses, um, you know, go and learn a lot about myself at that, at that time period. Uh, when I, when I first came into the Air Force, I was actually a scientific analyst. My undergraduate was in math and uh, I thought I was, was all about math and I wanted to do analysis, you know, all the time. And, and I, I still enjoy that, that type of work, but I, I did find that that uh, needed more people around me in my work experience. Um, that I didn't enjoy sitting by myself in an office um, as much as I thought I would. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so, so about three years in, I did change from being a scientific analyst to actually being a space operator, and and that really uh, was was thrilling to me. Uh, learning all about space. It was largely my first experience uh, with with understanding uh, space. I mean, I had had a class at the academy, but, but really uh, experiencing it and, and working with all the other people uh, who, you know, study systems on board the satellites and how all the satellites operate and how they work together, that, that was really much more exciting for me. I think the thing though, from a leadership experience that, that really shaped me, um, you know, I sort of found that space was my my uh, my area of, of expertise. I think really shaped me as a leader was the intern program that I did. I did that as a as a captain. This program was kind of an interesting program because there were fifty captains selected from across the course uh, from across all career fields, and we came to the Pentagon for about twenty two months. And as you mentioned, I was on the joint staff. I worked in the office of, of the chairman. Um, I worked for Chairman Shali Kashvili and, uh, and his assistant, at, who at the time was, was General Myers, and, and he later became chairman. But this, this, the reason this experiment, experience, I think, was so um, shaping for me was, was that it was a combination between education. We were able to get a degree in organizational management at George Washington University. So I had experience with communications classes and organizational development, business mm-hmm. leadership classes um, with excellent professors and really you know, outstanding students who had experiences from all across the military. My boss, oh, by the way, <laughs> Lieutenant General Stephen Whiting, who's now the commander of the SPOC, he was, he was a classmate as well in the program. Mm-hmm. But but everybody brought such such uh, fantastic perspectives that that it was it was really helpful. And then combining that with observation of senior leaders in action, watching General Shalikashvili, watching General Myers, and and being exposed to all branches of government uh, because they took us to you know all of the intelligence community and they took us to many of the different executive agencies and. And of course, we exposed to all the other services as well. And I think it really honed my style of leadership because I realized how much we could accomplish when we partner 
across government and work with different branches of government. And, and so for me, it was, it was really eye-opening and created, created a, a vision in what, what was possible in being a leader. So I thought it was a fantastic experience and, and a highlight of my career. Thank you for sharing that, Jody. So many questions um, uh, pop up in my head here, but I want to make sure that we bring Mike into our conversation. Uh, so I'll, I'll pass this over to Mike. But as I do, I want to remind our listeners that this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio, Sirius XM Channel 132. I'm your host, Jeff Klein. I'm here with Mike Useem. And our guest today is Air Force Brigadier General Jody Merritt. And we're talking about, the, uh, talking about her experience as a leader uh, as well as her role within the U.S. Space Force, the newest branch of the armed, armed forces. Mike. All right, Jeff, thank you. And, and General, thank you again for joining the program. And I'm going to ask a little bit about your career in that as you came out of the Air Force Academy, you were a second lieutenant. Uh, today, you're a brigadier general. And uh, in between, you held five other layers moving up in essence, to greater and greater responsibility. I've got a twofold question about moving up within the Air Force, but this is for our listeners who are in all kinds of walks of life. What do you think best prepared you, maybe from going from, let's make it from first lieutenant to a captain, to take on the role of captain? And then more generally, how have you prepared yourself to accept greater leadership responsibility as you have moved up those seven rungs to where you are now. So with that, over to you, and I'm really anxious, as I'm sure our listeners are, to hear your thinking about how to be ready for the next rung up. Well, Lieutenant to Captain, that was that was a long time ago, Mike, but um, I, I see a call at the time. That was about the time I decided to switch from being an analyst to to going into space. and and. The, the space had a fairly structured organizational structure that, that allowed us to sort of being an expert on the job, on console, actually commanding the satellite uh, in terms of an asset, a very expensive asset in space. Uh, but from a people perspective, very few people. It was usually myself and one another person, sometimes two people, three of us total on console. You know, so, so leadership from that perspective was was very specific to that mission and and being able to operate that that uh, that spacecraft, which was a lot of responsibility because it was so expensive. Um, but as I as I kind of grew through my uh, career in in the space business and space operations, the experience continues to broaden. So so I was go from that, you know, small crew of three people in the asset to, to you know, broader experiences with um, training and standardization and evaluation of other uh, operators. And then, uh, you know, doing that for a while and, and you know, have opportunity to, to learn from my peers, learn from my mentors. Um, those were the types of things that really helped me and, and I have some outstanding mentors, actually, um, in, the, in those early years. Um, so I had some good mentors that were other captains. Uh, I had mentors that were, you know, majors. And then 
had the opportunity to be an executive officer and be mentored by a squadron commander who was who was fantastic, Kevin Hope, he at the time. Hmm. Uh, and just learned a lot from them and their experience because they had been serving longer than I had. So that's great. And then let me turn to your last promotion as you move from a colonel to a general officer. That's a very big step. You represent the Air Force, you represent the country as a general officer. And in anticipating that movement from colonel to general officer, to brigadier, brigadier general in particular, how has that, in, in effect, um, forced you to, to think differently and making that, that leap, if I can call it that? How, how have you had to think differently? Well, somebody once told me that you want to be at the next level, you need to behave like people who are performing at that level. So I think observing people who generals throughout my career, uh, even as a, as a colonel, I started to, to try to like them more mm -hmm. and to make decisions in the way that they would make decisions and gather information in the way that they would gather information. Um, and for me, I think that that helped me prepare. Um, you know, some of it was was so you know, trying to identify the right the right activities to be involved in, so that I would have the right experiences as well. And and those don't always sort of fall in fall into your lap. Sometimes you have to look for them um, and to you know, talk with other people and and say, oh, this of experience is something that I want uh, want to to do so that I can improve that part of my skill set uh, so that I can uh, use that then as a building block for for a, a bigger more challenging experience and I think those those are the types of things that I did as a lieutenant colonel and as a colonel as a, as a commander and and then you know as a, as a colonel uh, moving moving up yeah it's great. I'll put my words on it, and that is you really got to think as if you're at the next level, you're not. But if you're going to move into that greater responsibility, it's good to start thinking that way now before you are suddenly there. So thank you very much in that. Jeff, over to you. Great. Thanks, Mike. Uh, and, you know, I, uh, Jody, I've, I've heard you use the term space operator a few times now as we as we've been describing it. And while it conjures all kinds of imagery in my mind about what a space operator might be, I was hoping you could just describe that in a little more detail for, for all of us. Sure, sure. So, so um, space operators can be at different le levels, but in this particular text, um, when I was a space operator on console, we would have telemetry, which is sent down from the satellite. So data on, on the satellite, you know, what's the temperature of the satellite, what is, um, you know, the voltage of the, of, that it's carrying on, on different lines, you know, how are the batteries, what's the health of the batteries and the temperature, and is it in the sunlight or is it not? All of this information about the satellite, as well as the mission that it might be doing, whether it's collecting weather or, um, you know, taking pictures or position navigation and timing, you know, whatever particular mission is for that satellite, and some satellites have multiple payloads, you know, the operator then is telling the satellite what to do. 
It's mm-hmm. the ground uh, through computer terminal remotely. Uh, there's there's sometimes um, a controller who is helping set up communication lines from physical location to an antenna somewhere else on the globe uh, that will then be communicating directly with a satellite. And 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 there's then that that small team of two or three people that perform that function. Then when you combine with you know three or four other teams operating an entire constellation of satellites. So you know GPS when you have over 20 satellites in the constellation, for example, you're going to have more than more than the two people actually actually doing it. And and technology has come a long way and technology is actually moving in the direction of you know there are some lights out operations in some mission mission areas, um, primarily on the NASA side of the house, uh, but more, and more automation is is happening to help the human operator, uh, mm-hmm. the human operator do their job, and then there's people in the background too who are, who are doing mission planning and 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 figuring out how to actually optimize uh, a particular satellite or a particular constellation to do its mission. All of those people together form form the operation of of, uh, of space missions. Oh, thank you, thank you for bringing that to life, and uh, I'll remind our listeners that we are talking with Air Force Brigadier General Jody Merritt, who is the Mobilization Assistant to the Commander, Space Operations Command, at Peterson Air Force Base in Colorado. This is Leadership in Action on Business Radio Sirius XM one thirty two, and you know. Jody, before we go to the break, I, I want to um, kind of take that description of space operation um, and and combine it with the conversation that you were having with Mike just before about choosing new activities and choosing new experiences to build skills. Um, you know, could you um, could you help us? You know, maybe understand as you're stepping into new experiences, um, new challenges, and as you're also really on the vanguard of what is what is happening in space and the ways in which space is being used, that all sounds really challenging. Um, what role do these challenging assignments have in, you know, what role did they have in your development? What role do they have for um, the development of, of senior officers? Yeah, so, so as I, I described space operations, uh, that's largely uh, where a lot of our junior officers are performing their jobs. Yeah. As they grow and as I grew in my experience, um, you know, I went, I went from the hands-on the console to leading the people doing that function mm-hmm. to being a commander um, and having an entire squadron that does training and evaluation as well as operations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and then you combine that with some of the staff experiences. So you heard a little bit about the intern program where I was on the staff, but, but also other staff experiences. Um, so, so uh, for example, being in charge of requirements or working requirements for systems. Uh, potentially being part of the acquisition process. Um, I, throughout my career, I, I because I was originally a scientific analyst, I've been able to 
to go back and forth a little bit more as a more senior officer, uh, but the operational side of the house and the acquisition side of the house. And different, different leaders within the military can do that as well. And in my particular case, uh, you know, I had, had the opportunity to help stand up a new organization, the Defense um, Unit Experiential out in Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. And uh, from there, went went over to the Space and Missile Systems Center and and stood up an entire new consortium, so the Space Enterprise Consortium. So, you know, taking, taking these these bigger thoughts and and tools. Uh, in the case of the Space Enterprise Consortium, it was a tool that Congress had given us an authority that they'd given to be able to buy things in a new way, and mm-hmm. so we set up this you know large group of companies uh, and uh, and are leveraging these these capabilities can now move much quicker through the acquisition process. And so, so overall, I, I guess the, the bottom line is, as you combine all of these experiences together, uh, it creates a new way of thinking as, as a leader and helps you, helps you sort of drive the whole organization. I can't say that drive the whole organization, but, but within my span of control, help drive them to, to be better and to be more excellent in everything that they're doing based on these individual um, growth opportunities. Uh, thank, thank you so much for, um, for you know, really just help, helping us understand, you know, some of these interrelationships. And I, I love that comment about developing a new way of thinking. You know, the, uh, Ron Heifetz is another leadership scholar, and he talks a lot about adaptive problem solving. How do we solve problems that have no known answer, right? And um, and it is those new ways of thinking and the the connection of what can be similar and, and sometimes disparate experiences to drive, uh, drive those new mindsets. Mike, over to you, my friend. Yeah, Jody, again, it's been great to have a dialogue with you. And Jeff and I are really interested in the new stand-up branch, uh, U.S. Space Force. The Air Force, if we recall correctly, goes back to 1947. I think it's the first new branch to be so created uh, since, um, Mm -hmm. well, more than 50 years ago. So just talk a bit, if you would, about its purpose, its agenda, uh, and why it was created uh, so recently. uh, And you've been part of this uh, pretty much from the get-go, I realize. So... Anyway, just uh, talk a bit about the Space Force and its purpose. You bet. I'll tell you, I'll tell you Mike, it's, it's a very exciting time to be serving right now. As you, This is the first new branch of service since the Air Force was established back in 47. And, you know, it really has, the Space Force has really evolved out of necessity. The other domains, the land, the sea, the air domain, space has really become a contested domain. And that the need for a new service. Um, you know, I've, I've talked a little bit about some of the missions already today, but humans touch space every day. You know, whether financial transactions, through calls and business transactions that are done around the world, navigating to your favorite vacation destination, all of that, uh, now we are reliant on space and the capabilities that, that brought, um, brought to us uh, through space. So protecting the domain is vital 
to the everyday life for, for not just our nation, but for nations around the world, really. And standing up the Space Force, um, you know, Congress, Congress has provided the authorities and the authorizations that allow us to execute that mission, that protection mission uh, for our nation. Uh, so it's, it's, it's been an exciting time, and, and I'm super happy to be, be a part of it, that's for sure. Great. Let, let me ask a question about the reporting relationships that uh, you have and, and your fellow officers have in as much as you have, I'll put it this way, many, many bosses. So you report to the, uh, the Joint Chiefs, you report to the Secretary of Defense, you report to the White House, of course, and in a sense you report to Congress. So as the new Space Force was created, how did you and your colleagues build out relations with all those who have ranks above you to whom you ultimately bear responsibility to keep them informed, to keep them in a sense knowing what you're doing, and also on your part, being able to carry out their intent and in what you're doing within the Space Force itself. So with sure. that, over to you. Sure. So uh, the military, by its nature, tends to be a hierarchical organization. Um, the Space Force itself is a component uh, under the Air Force. So Secretary of the Air Force um, and the Department of the Air Force now have, have both the Air Force and the Space Force. Mm -hmm. uh, so that hierarchy flows up to the Secretary of the Air Force. Um, in addition, though, um, about before the Space Force stood up, U.S. Space Command stood up. And that's a combatant command, and that is actually the joint command where all of the services come together, and they're ultimately responsible for the domain of space. Uh, just that, um, you know, we have other commands around the globe that are responsible for the Pacific or for for. CENTCOM, SOCOM, we, we have now a, a command that is responsible for space. And, and uh, General Dickinson, who's the commander of U.S. SpaceCom, then he, he uh, then works and collaborates with all of the other combatant commanders uh, from that perspective. So some of these relationships are predefined relationships. Mm -hmm. uh, and and that, that does really help things. Now, there's, there's definitely um, additional, more informal relationships that we've had to build. And a lot of this grounds up, ground up relationships, but we're fortunate in that we have opportunities to build relationships. We have schools where we meet other people from other services. We have forums. Um, you know, some of them are, are professional forums where we go and, and meet the other leaders uh, that are, are doing different functions. Um, and all of these uh, events allow us the opportunity to, to uh, reach each other um, as, as leaders, but also to be able to talk about uh, things, talk about, okay, well, how are we gonna do this new service? You know, what is the right structure? What is the right relationship? And, and we organize and set up our new organization in this way, like Spock organization, uh, just 
just define how it, it really wants to look in this new space force. When, and we, in that process over the course of the last year, had those conversations and, to say, and, and said, well, we structure this way so that we, we can have this part of our organization talking directly to the wings and to the squadrons and this other part of our organization talking directly to the acquisition people. And uh, those relationships, a lot of us know each other because there's only about you know, 6,000 people uh, in Space Force, <laughs> 6,200 if you call the civilians. But those relationships um, are helping us then define uh, how we can operate and how we can operate better uh, this new force uh, than we did as, as part of the Air Force. Great, really helpful. Jeff, let me bring you back in. All right, thank, thank you, Mike. Uh, and I do just want to remind our listeners that you're listening to Leadership in Action on Sirius XM, Channel 132. Uh, this is Business Radio powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Jeff Klein, and I'm here with Mike Usim. Uh I was going to say my good buddy, but all of our good buddies at this point. Uh, and our guest today is Air Force Brigadier General Jody Merritt, who is the mobilization assistant to the Commander Space Space Operations Command at Peterson Air Force Base in Colorado. Um, you know, Jody, I just want to kind of pick up on where you and Mike were, uh, and, and you were indicating, all right, we're we're going to use, uh, we are using the set of both predefined relationships and more informal relationships to to you know create the organization um, that will you know ultimately carry out. Uh, the the uh, the the missions that are a part of U.S. Space Force. I'm wondering. Um, my impression, certainly, of the military and all of the military leaders that that we have spoken to over the years is that the military is a very strong culture organization. Um, strong culture, strong norms and practices. How do you approach creating a new branch? And were there, you know, were there debates, were there discussions about what you want to make sure you pull in from US Armed Services generally? And, and what are the components of a, a culture or an operation that you feel like need to be unique for US Space Force? Yes, so I would say culture conversations uh, have, have happened a lot in the past year and are still happening. Mm. Uh, we spend a lot of time talking about culture. Um, you know, from the mission perspective and, and the like, we tend to, to have, have an, a nice hierarchy that sort of flows down from the national security strategy and, and then our chief sets priorities and goals. Mm. And, and some of those that he has set I think lead um, lead us towards a certain type of culture. Um, mm -hmm. For example, um, one of, of General Raymond, he, you know, he's our chief of space officer. His priorities is to empower a lean and agile service. Well, lean is is pretty easy. That's kind of a numbers game. But being agile, that's a culture thing, and that um, agility. Um, we're trying to take lessons. Uh, originally from Silicon Valley, but, but, but now that's sort of 
permeated more into, into other innovation centers um, and, and really trying to find ways to hack through the bureaucracy, all, all while being, being fully compliant with a law, but, but at the same time, uh, you know, trying to remove bureaucracy wherever possible to streamline uh, processes, to, to uh, accelerate um, decision-making whenever possible. Uh, so that we can actually be more effective, uh, and I think that's a huge part of part of our culture. Um, some of the other culture aspects that that uh, I think are are really unique. We we talk a lot about failing uh, failing fast, and that's another Silicon Valley sort of term that that startups use to uh, to say, "Hey, if I'm going to try this, but I want to fail fast because I don't want to spend a lot of money and waste a lot of effort if this." This great idea I have is going to be a failure, but when we say failing fast in the military, it really is taking a little bit more risk um, and being able to bait um, on those things uh, with with informed informed risk, um, mm-hmm. but being afraid to fail, not being afraid that this is going to end your career if you if you make this decision to to go forward with with um, a new innovation, a new idea. And, and that's another thing that we're really trying to bring into the culture. And that is, is, is not easy because a lot of, a lot of, uh, of people uh, sort of are, are afraid of failure and they think, oh, well, if I, I take this risk and I fail, it's the end of my career. And, and we're really both as leaders and then as people who are our followers trying to that balance and, and that just doesn't happen overnight. It's it's you know trial trial and error and 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 eventually we'll, we'll get to where we need to be from a cultural perspective. Uh, but that that uh, you know fail fast and and taking taking additional risk and being agile and being lean, um, all of those those things are part of the new culture. Uh, I mean, really fascinating to hear about the way the ways in which you know you're, you're looking, whether it's to Silicon Valley or innovation centers, to inform uh, you know new ways of thinking, and that that seems to be um, you know part of the theme that's emerging in this show. You know how how as a leader do you try to um, you know both access and integrate some of these, uh, you know, some of these new ways of thinking that you're talking about. Um, you talked about the role of, of predefined and informal relationships before. Uh, and I'm wondering, you know, how you would identify, um, let's say, a, a Silicon Valley firm um, and say there's something that we could learn from in the way that they're operating. How, how, how do you identify one? How do you approach them? What, what is that kind of a relationship like? We've really grown an ecosystem over the last six years um, with uh, not just Silicon Valley, but uh, you know, innovation uh, centers around the nation. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, we've done that through organizations like DIUX, through the Space Consortium, um, out at SMC through AFWorks and now SpaceWorks. Um, but we also leverage commercial um, accelerators, 
be able mm-hmm. to identify emerging capabilities. A lot of those new and emerging technologies, you know, we, we really want to um, allow those companies to kind of get established because sometimes the government, uh, we're, we're kind of a slow customer and uh, mm-hmm. a lot of these companies don't have, have the resources to be slow. They need to be making money to, to, to actually be able to advance whatever the capability or technology is doing. Um, we, we do a lot of engaging, but we, we have to, you know, sort of be careful that we don't um, oppose our will on a lot of these companies uh, mm-hmm. because it, it can stifle them. And, you know, we, the nation where we want to be able to harness the innovation, uh, but, but uh, not, not overimpose our will on, on these, these small fledgling companies. So Absolutely. I hope I answer your question. Yeah. Thank Thank you, Joy. I'm just, I'm fascinated by um, partnerships and, and especially these sorts of cross sector partnerships uh, where we're bringing not, not only different um, goals, but, but some of the different mindsets that we've been talking about here today um, to bear on, uh, on really unique challenges. So, Mike, let me. um, Oh, go ahead, please. Can I talk just a little bit about partnerships? Yeah. Um, You know, we we have fantastic partnerships with industry, both the traditional um, system integrator type uh, partners, as well as uh, this new um, startup and innovation ecosystem. But we also have important partnerships with um, other nations. And the reason I want to to mention that is because space is global and we as a nation really are much stronger with our partners. Uh, So spend a lot of time talking about and thinking about and investing in those relationships, whether it's that, um, you know, a general, uh, general Deanna Burt, who is, who is at the combined uh, forces space command, and they're sort of responsible for the official partnerships whether it's something that she's doing uh, to to you know do actual exercises and 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 team with, with other nations mm-hmm. uh, to things that are happening in the acquisition area where we may be doing some foreign military sales uh, or partnership in that area or looking at at uh, you know very very high level um, international type uh, arrangements. Those mm-hmm. partnerships are, are going to continue, and they're, they are an important part of, of what Space Force is doing. Thank you for highlighting that. And I and imagine it's another unique stream of information, of perspective um, that, that you really, you know, as, as an organization, are continuing to integrate and, and use to inform your approach to problem solving. Um, Mike, let me uh, turn this over to you. Jody, we're getting close to the end of our time, and I wanted to be sure to ask you about the flip side of your learning from Silicon Valley and working with partners to better get your job done. The flip side is uh, Jeff and I, for example, in in going back a couple years with our program, we've often had people coming in from the armed services to meet with our students, with our faculty, to learn from the armed services, what business could benefit from. Uh, and in fact, uh, General Myers uh, was one of the speakers we had in uh, quite some time ago. Really interesting when he was here. It's been great talking with you. And turning that then into a question, what do you think 
private industry, defense contractor, Silicon Valley, could learn from your command uh, that could directly benefit uh, their own operations or their understanding of the world they're in? So, you know, throughout my career being a reservist, I've sort of had one foot in industry, one foot in the military. And I think I, I take things back and forth between the two. You know, my my leadership experience, I think, tends to be the one thing that has really significantly helped me in in my civilian life. And and that, you know, and it's it's different being a leader uh, in business than it is being a leader in the military. Uh, There's more um, collaboration, I think, and on the business side of the house, You, you can't give 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 somebody a direct verbal order as we would say in the military yeah if in the civilian side of the house you know they'll just walk away from you <laughs> so so I, I think that um but learning the different techniques and leadership and those tools i think that that is is huge on the civilian side of the house and and uh spending time in that area the the flip side though i i think that there's a lot that that uh those of us in the military can learn from from civilians as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, really the the way of doing business. Um, sometimes uh, commercial industry uh, tends to be much more focused on the bottom line, much more focused on on how much they're spending, whether or not they're going to be able to make payroll, whether or not they're meeting their customers' needs. Uh, the things. Um, I think are are high value for for military and government people to think about. You know, who who are my customers mm-hmm. in the military? Am I am I doing everything I can to meet their needs? Um, am I spending taxpayers' dollars um, effectively and and not being wasteful? All of those things, I think, sort of come come back the other direction. Really helpful to hear that in that Jeff and I have long followed almost the same set of principles. We want to learn from wherever we can learn, including the armed services. We also like to give back. And so we also seek to make it a two-way dialogue. So thank you on that. Jeff, I think we're getting close to AAR time. So let me throw it back in your direction. Thank you, Mike. Uh, you are correct. We're, we're approaching the end of our time together here. Um, and so we would like to uh, look. This is this is leadership in action, and uh, we like to practice what we preach. So what we uh, the way that we typically end our show here is a very brief adaptation of a practice that we learned from the U.S. military, and that is the after action review. Uh, Mike and Jody, I'm going to ask both of you if uh, you could just highlight a lesson, highlight. Um, you know, a, a part of our conversation that you'd encourage leaders to really, or readers, listeners, uh, to keep uh, thinking about here today. And Mike, why don't I start with you? Well, I'm going to refer to what Jody mentioned maybe 20 minutes back, and that is, as she has moved from one um, one level to the next, captain to major, lieutenant colonel to colonel, and then up to brigadier general, it's been vital for her in making that move to behave as if you're at the next level before you are, number one. And number two, 
to make decisions at your level in a way that would you would make those decisions if you're at the next level. It has two great merits. Uh, the decisions at your level reflect what the level above would like to see. And at the same time, you're learning how to operate as if you're at the next level, vital for leadership development. So that's it from me, Jeff. Uh, Jody, over to you. Thank you, Mike. Uh, so uh, I would say the the big takeaway that I'd like to to help is is that you know throughout throughout my career and and being now part of part of the course, you know it really takes a lot of of collaboration and yeah. a lot of fantastic ideas and uh, mental um, both up and down to to be successful. Um, whether it's as an individual or as an organization, and uh, I think that that that's that's something that we're doing in Space Force that that uh, collaboration, mentoring each other, that partnering and supporting supporting each other, uh, and that that I think is is really really important, uh, and it's it's part of our culture and it's it's part of my, my personal approach to to leadership, and, and uh, that's my big takeaway. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Brigadier General Jody Merritt. And for me, I'll, I'll just drop these in um, quickly. Probably no surprise if you've been listening to this whole conversation. We started off, we were talking about decision making. Uh, we heard from Jody today, you know, fail fast in terms of decision making. And then also talked about how we scan the environment. And, and I think Jody has really reinforce the importance of both the, the predefined formal relationships and then the collaborative informal relationships uh, as a way to gather information. So we'll say a final thank you here to uh, Brigadier General Jody Merritt. Um, and we also want to say a thank you to our producer, Patty Hall, our sound engineer, Chris Tooks, um, and to all of you. If you have a question about something you heard on today's show, you can email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com and be sure to follow our show on Twitter at SXM Business. On behalf of my good buddy, Mike Yuseem and Ann Greenhall, uh, who's off today, I'm Jeff Klein, and I'll thank you for listening to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 